This episode involves the murder of a child, as well as descriptions of rape and other forms of sexual violence. As always, I'll never go into more detail than is necessary, but listener discretion is advised. A fascination with mythical creatures, like vampires and dragons, is nothing out of the ordinary. Role-playing, specifically the game Dungeons & Dragons, has become an immensely popular pastime for tens of thousands of people across the globe. And who doesn't need an escape from reality from time to time? Lisa Mandarak was beautiful, with a mane of shiny black curls and a beaming smile. I know it's a cliché, but she genuinely looked like the sort of person who would light up a room upon entering. However, her beauty became a curse when she crossed paths with Caleb Fairley, a perverted vampire fanatic with a disturbing addiction to violent pornography. I'm your host Natalie, and this is Talk Murder With Me, Episode 18, Caleb Fairley and the Murders of Lisa and Devin Mandarak. Lisa Marie Mandarak, originally Augustinelli, was born September 30, 1965, in Norristown, Pennsylvania. She graduated from Norristown High School in 1983. In 1992, Lisa married James Mandarak, who went by Jimmy, and the young couple settled in Limerick, Pennsylvania, formerly known as Limerick Township. Lisa and Jimmy had known each other since elementary school, but were just friends for quite a while before becoming romantically involved. Jimmy had been married and divorced before he and Lisa got together. Their daughter, Devin Marie, was born on February 4, 1994. The young family attended St. Clair Lutheran Church in Linfield, Pennsylvania, near Limerick. About 35 miles northwest of Philadelphia, Limerick was estimated to be home to around 19,000 people in 2016, a huge increase from the 1990 estimate of just 6,600. Like many towns and cities in Montgomery County, Limerick is experiencing a development boom, and with that, a rapidly growing population. It is also viewed as an ideal place to raise a family. Those who knew Lisa described her as a happy, upbeat person who could always make people smile. She worked extremely hard, driving a forklift for Fleming Koss, a food distributing company in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. She also ran a weekend janitorial service with her husband and volunteered for Meals on Wheels. She did all of this on top of caring for 19-month-old Devon. A deeply unhappy person, Caleb Fairley was known to retreat into his own world more often than not. Born October 21, 1973, in Gulf Mills, Pennsylvania, Caleb was the eldest of five children born to James, a pharmacist, and Ruth Fairley, a small business owner. Tragically, in 1989, Caleb's four-year-old brother David died as a result of an accidental shooting. He had gotten his hands on a gun and had been playing with it when it went off. Neighbors said that they often saw Caleb and David playing together in the family's swimming pool, and that Caleb never really got over his brother's death. 
I couldn't find much information about Caleb's relationship with his father, but his relationship with his mother was not good. Ruth Fairley was a domineering and controlling woman who viewed her son with disdain, calling him stupid and constantly chastising him, saying that he couldn't do anything right. Caleb attended Upper Marion High School, where he was a pretty good student, according to his neighbor, Tony Trachtman. Tony said that Caleb was enrolled in some classes for gifted students, which she found surprising, because he had always struck her as being, quote, slow and lacking drive. In high school, Caleb was badly bullied by other students, who made fun of his weight, the way he dressed, and pretty much everything about him. He never fought back against the bullies or stood up for himself. Caleb had little experience with women. He did, however, have a girlfriend for a short while during high school, or at least a girl he went on some dates with. Melissa Arcadia described him as smart, but someone with, quote, a lot of inner pain. She also said that he was afraid of women, probably due to his relationship with his mother. In 1992, there were several incidents in which Caleb was accused of sexual harassment, specifically grabbing women from behind. He had a couple of jobs in restaurants in his teens. At every job he ever had, he was laughed at and picked on by co-workers. Given the constant ridicule from his mother and the torment from his classmates and those he worked with, it's no surprise that he preferred to be alone in his fantasy world. He spent most of his time in his room, where he apparently dressed up as a vampire and played Dungeons and Dragons. He also kept a large collection of violent pornography. On graduating high school, Caleb briefly attended Westchester University, where he studied computer science. I'm not sure he even completed a semester, however. He dropped out and enrolled at Montgomery County Community College, where his grades were quite good, but due to his financial circumstances, he did not return for the fall term in 1995. More than anything, he wanted to save enough money to move out of his parents' house. Dave Rosenthal of the Baltimore Sun summed up Caleb rather well, in my opinion. If ever there was a lost boy, it was Caleb Fairley, he wrote. September 10th, 1995, a Sunday, felt to Lisa Mandarak like a good day for shopping. Jimmy was parked in front of the TV that afternoon, watching football, which Lisa had little interest in. There was a new kids' clothing store, Your Kids and Mine, that had recently opened in Collegeville. It was about a 15-minute drive from Limerick, and Lisa had been wanting to go check it out. At around 3 p.m., Lisa told Jimmy she was taking Devin to the Collegeville Shopping Center. She told him that they would not be gone long. She walked out to their car, a 1988 Pontiac Firebird, placed Devin in her car seat, and drove away. This would be the last time Jimmy would see his wife and daughter alive. When it got to dinner time and Lisa was not home, Jimmy became concerned, not wanting to seem like an alarmist. Jimmy called his brother, and then his sister, asking them what he should do. Both siblings told him he was overreacting and not to worry. Jimmy and Lisa really were happy in their marriage, so nobody could fathom the idea that Lisa had just run off to start a new life. Reports say that Jimmy called the police at about 9pm that evening. 
An officer came to the Mandarak home and told Jimmy to check if any of Lisa's toiletries were missing, or if any luggage was gone. But everything was right where it was supposed to be. Jimmy relayed to the police the events of that afternoon. He had been watching football, and at around 3pm, Lisa took Devin to the new store, Your Kids and Mine, in the Collegeville Shopping Center. The police made their way there, and sure enough, there sat Lisa's Pontiac Firebird, but no Lisa and Devon. There was no sign of a struggle, in or around the car. What Jimmy didn't know was that before he even called the police that Sunday, some hikers made a horrible discovery in Valley Forge National Park. They had been making their way along a trail at the base of an embankment. About 50 yards above the trail at the top of the embankment was a road. It was on the embankment that they found the lifeless body of a toddler laying amongst the fallen autumn leaves. It looked as though she had been thrown from a car, landing about halfway down the embankment. She was fully clothed. There was bruising on her head and neck. Jimmy's brother, John, agreed to go to the hospital to see if the body belonged to Devon. Jimmy was far too distraught to go. It was her, John confirmed. The autopsy showed that her collarbone was broken. Her cause of death was manual strangulation. Investigators were unable to recover any hair or fiber evidence from Devon's clothing. If there ever had been any, it had likely come off when she was thrown from the car, or as she lay out in the elements. Naturally, as always is the case when a wife and or child disappear and turn up dead, although Lisa had not been found at this point, the husband comes under immediate suspicion. The lead investigator on the case, Detective Lieutenant Richard Peffel, said in an interview on Forensic Files that he was very suspicious of Jimmy for refusing to identify Devon at the hospital. He added that this was a very unusual choice on the part of a father. I personally don't find this all that strange, given Jimmy was likely so upset at the possibility that his daughter had been found dead. He didn't think he could cope with seeing her lifeless body laid out on a gurney. Family members of Lisa's took Jimmy's side, insisting that Lisa and Devon were his whole world, and he would never do anything to hurt them. The Mandarak's neighbors also told the police that Jimmy's car had been parked in the driveway all afternoon, and they never saw him leave the house on foot. Ruling out Jimmy as a suspect, detectives began looking elsewhere for clues as to what happened to Lisa and Devon. As Lisa was still missing, a massive search of Valley Forge National Park, where Devon's body was found, took place on Monday, September 11th. Helicopters and bloodhounds were used, as well as dozens of searchers on the ground, but they turned up nothing. Back at the Collegeville Shopping Center, detectives began asking store owners if they had seen Lisa and Devon the previous day. Detectives got a break when a woman, who had been shopping at Your Kids and Mine on Sunday, came forward and said she had seen Lisa and Devon. She made a purchase at the store and saw them as she was leaving. The detectives went to Your Kids and Mine and were able to confirm the woman's account by examining receipts in the cash register from the day before. Her transaction, which was the last one of the day, took place at 3.39pm. This meant detectives were able to confirm that Lisa and Devon were alive at that time. 
They found out that the store was owned by a woman named Ruth Fairley, and that her son, Caleb Fairley, had been working there alone on Sunday. They reached out to Caleb, asking if he had seen a woman of Lisa's description with a toddler in the store the day before. He denied seeing anyone of that description, but agreed to meet detectives to look at photos. When the detectives met Caleb that afternoon, they noticed that he was wearing thick, poorly applied makeup, which immediately raised their suspicions. They asked him to wipe the makeup off. He complied, and as it turned out, his face was covered in scratches. He told detectives that he had been at a concert the night before, specifically the band Electric Hellfire Club at a Philadelphia nightclub called The Asylum. During the concert, he told the detectives, he got caught up in a mosh pit, which was how he got the scratches. The detectives were hardly convinced by his story. They served Caleb with a search warrant on his home and his mother's store. They also took a DNA sample from him. In Caleb's room, they found his stash of vampire-related items and his large collection of pornography. They also found what they described as strange sexual devices. They also came across a t-shirt with a drawing of a woman being caressed by vampires on either side of her. Many sources I found said that the woman in the drawing looks like Lisa Mandarak, but honestly, it really just looks like a drawing of an attractive woman with a low-cut dress and long dark hair. Then again, if the women depicted in Caleb's magazines, which he spent hours every day looking at, bore a resemblance to Lisa, this may well have contributed to him being more attracted to women who looked like her. While searching the store, they found several pornographic videotapes and a VCR stashed away in the back. It was also discovered that peepholes had been drilled into the walls of the dressing rooms. A witness came forward to detectives, saying they saw someone in your kids and mine vacuuming the store just before it closed on Sunday. On examining the vacuum cleaner, detectives discovered dozens of long, dark hairs tied around the brush of the vacuum. They apparently couldn't match these to Lisa because they had not found her body, but surely they could have asked Jimmy for a hair sample from her hairbrush. Ultraviolet light was used to identify bodily fluids on the carpet in the store. These included saliva, which was a match to Devon, and semen stains several feet away, which to nobody's surprise, were a match to the sample taken from Caleb. However, these pieces of evidence did not actually prove that Caleb was responsible for Devon's murder or Lisa's disappearance, Devon's saliva and the hair in the vacuum, which they did not actually conclusively match to Lisa, only showed that they had been in the store. As for the semen stains, you could just put that down to Caleb being a deviant and masturbating in his mother's store after hours. I realize this sounds far-fetched, but they did not actually prove that he raped Lisa or Devon. They were almost 100% convinced that the scratches on Caleb's face were a result of an attack on Lisa, but in order to prove this, they needed to find her. Detectives informed Caleb of the forensic evidence they uncovered at the store. Perhaps they were hoping he would just confess, but arguably, what happened next was even more beneficial to their case. 
Caleb told them that he would lead them to Lisa's body if they did not pursue the death penalty against him. The assistant district attorney for Montgomery County, Bruce Castor, explained that this was a shock move from Caleb and his attorney, because without Lisa's body, they did not have a solid case against him. Just a little bit of trivia. If you happen to be a political junkie like me, Bruce Castor served as a lawyer for Donald Trump during his second impeachment trial at the beginning of this year. Maybe Caleb just knew he would end up being charged, as he figured the evidence they had against him was strong, and they would no doubt find more of it. If the most important thing to him was avoiding the death penalty, this made sense. But by leading them to Lisa's body, he was incriminating himself further. Not only did he know where her body was, detectives had no doubt that they would find his DNA under her fingernails. Montgomery County District Attorney Michael Marino will later say that the decision to take Caleb up on his offer was the most difficult of his career. Police desperately needed to find the woman's body to preserve forensic evidence that could convict fairly. The clerk, referring to Caleb, had at least 10 fresh scratches on his face and wrist, indicating Mrs. Mandarak struggled furiously for her life, Marino said. However, I'll just point out that while Pennsylvania technically still has the death penalty, there have only been three people executed in the state since 1978, when capital punishment was reinstated. The last was in 1999. Death penalty cases can take years to go to trial, and even if Caleb had been sentenced to death, it is highly unlikely that he would ever have actually been executed. In 2015, Governor Tom Wolf put in place a moratorium on executions in Pennsylvania. On September 12, 1995, Caleb led detectives to Lisa's body, five miles from where Devon was found in Valley Forge National Park. She was in the woods behind an industrial park, very near a health club Caleb was a member of in King of Prussia. She was nude, except for a black lace top, which had been pulled up around her neck to expose her breasts. She had been posed in a sexual manner with her legs spread apart. Her face was covered by her long, dark hair. As detectives suspected they would be, Lisa's hands were battered. Many of her fingernails were broken and bloody. They also had Caleb's DNA under them, confirming where he had really gotten the scratches all over his face. Lisa sustained a number of other wounds and injuries from her attack. She was covered in bruises and five of her ribs were broken, which the pathologist later said resulted from someone kneeling on her back. Like Devon, her cause of death was manual strangulation. The pathologist said that he did not find physical injury that indicated sexual assault. Vaginal swabs were taken from Lisa, but I couldn't find the results of these. Caleb Fairley was arrested and charged for the murders of Lisa and Devin Mandarak. He pleaded not guilty. His trial began on April 10, 1996. The charges he faced included two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of aggravated assault, and abuse of a corpse. The jury was brought in from another county due to the publicity the case received in Montgomery County. The prosecution described Caleb as a porn-addicted pervert and a deviant. Bruce Castor told the jury that Lisa was, quote, the woman of Caleb's dreams, adding that she possessed many of the same physical features as the women in his games and magazines. 
Prosecutors went on to describe what happened on Sunday, September 10th. When Lisa and Devin entered Your Kids and Mine, Lisa instantly caught Caleb's attention. So once it was just him, Lisa, and Devin alone in the store, he snuck to the front door and locked it. Lisa and Devin were near the back of the store when he cornered them. He knocked Lisa down on the ground and tried to rape her, but she fought him hard. She kicked, screamed, and scratched him. Enraged by this, Caleb put his hands around her neck and strangled her. Then he strangled Devon. Determined to humiliate the woman he had just murdered, Caleb masturbated on Lisa's body, which explains the semen stains on the carpet. He then dragged the bodies out to his car and drove off. He threw Devon from the vehicle in Valley Forge National Park and then posed Lisa in the woods behind the industrial estate. Thomas Egan, Caleb's court-appointed attorney, made it clear from the beginning that the jury was not there to decide whether his client was guilty of the murders, but whether or not he planned them. I will take away some of the mystery in this case. Mr. Fairley did commit those killings, Egan proclaimed. He argued that Caleb was guilty of third-degree murder, not first-degree, because he did not mean to kill Lisa and Devon. On September 10th, 1995, that 22-year-old man put on his pants and shirt and went to work. He had no idea who Lisa Mandarak and Devon Mandarak were, Egan said, arguing against the idea that the murders were premeditated. If you're going to commit some kind of premeditated murder, you don't do so during store hours, during back-to-school season at 4.15 in the afternoon, he added. Caleb did not testify at trial. Egan claimed that his client was so blind with rage that he was not thinking clearly when he strangled his victims. Referencing scientific studies, Egan explained that it can take as little as 10 to 15 seconds to strangle someone. Castor refuted this, claiming that it would have taken Caleb much longer to strangle Lisa. He cited the testimony of the forensic pathologist who performed the autopsies on Lisa and Devon. The pathologist testified that it takes at least four minutes to choke someone to death, or even longer if the victim fights back, as Lisa did. Therefore, even if Caleb actually was in some kind of rage-induced trance, he had plenty of time to come to his senses and remove his hands from the necks of his victims, Castor argued. After four days of testimony, the jury deliberated for just three hours before finding Caleb guilty on two counts of first-degree murder and one count of abuse of a corpse. He was sentenced to two consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. Explaining his decision to hand down the maximum sentence, Judge William Carpenter said that Caleb killed a toddler who was, quote, innocent, helpless, and incapable of defending herself. He referred to the terror the murders had brought about in the community, saying that people used to think that a mother and daughter could shop on a Sunday afternoon in Collegeville without being murdered. Lisa's mother, Lorraine McKay, said she believed that Caleb avoided the death penalty, not because of the deal he and his attorney made with prosecutors, but rather her daughter's opposition to capital punishment. She believed that only God could take a life, Lorraine said to Caleb. You were the monster that took her life. I hope there's a monster out there that will take you. Lisa's brother, Ronald, speaking on behalf of the family, said that they were very happy with the outcome. 
He added that he hoped Caleb would receive some sort of prison justice. It's only a symbolic victory, said Bruce Castor, but it recognizes this is the most horrendous crime you could imagine. Thomas Egan, Caleb's attorney, said that, quote, There is not a chance in hell Mr. Fairley will ever get commuted. The now 48-year-old Caleb is currently incarcerated at the State Correctional Institution Fayette in LaBelle, Pennsylvania. He has filed a number of appeals for a new trial, the latest in 2012. None of them have been successful. Judge Carpenter, who oversaw his 1996 trial, dismissed his appeal in October 2012 for a new trial, saying that it had no merit. His court-appointed attorney agreed with the judge's decision. The following month, Caleb filed with the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to have the judge's decision overturned. Caleb's appeal was based on the 2012 U.S. Supreme Court ruling that, quote, mandatory life without parole sentences are unconstitutional for defendants under the age of 18 when they committed their crimes, except for the fact that Caleb was not under the age of 18 when he committed the murders. He was 21. He argued in his appeal that a person's biological process is typically incomplete until the person reaches his or her mid-twenties. So basically, he was really arguing that the Supreme Court should have ruled that it is unconstitutional to sentence people aged 21 and under to life in prison without parole, or he just wanted there to be an exception made for him. As far as I could tell, this 2012 appeal went nowhere. His attorney at the time said the appeal, quote, lacks any basis in either law or fact, and is therefore frivolous. Lisa and Devin Mandarak were buried together in a single casket at St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Cemetery in Norristown. Ginger Childs, a mother of two whose children were toddlers when Lisa and Devin were killed, remembered the fear and pain the murders brought about in the community so she decided she would try and create something bright and joyful in Lisa and Devon's memory. She organized and led a group of volunteers, and together, they eventually raised $500,000, which they put towards building the Mandarak Memorial Playground at Limerick Community Park. It was completed in September 1998, three years after Caleb was charged with the murders of Lisa and Devon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and give me a rating and review on Apple. It takes less than five minutes and it really helps me out. The links to my social media accounts are in the show notes. You can follow me there to see pictures I put up from each case. If you'd like to get in touch, please email me at talkmurderwithme at gmail.com. If you don't hear from me before, I hope you have a very Merry Christmas if you celebrate, and a Happy New Year. Until next time.